Textile Podcast. Thanks for tuning in to the Deus Textile Podcast, a place where some of the most progressive and innovative builders, thought leaders, and traders in the crypto space come together to discuss all areas of the crypto industry. Whether you're into DeFi, Layer 1s, Layer 2s, NFTs, or anything in between, we've got you covered. And as a reminder, nothing said on this podcast should be construed as financial advice or as a solicitation to buy or sell any digital asset or security. The comments, views, and opinions expressed by the hosts or guests on the podcast are their own. As always, you'll need to do your own research. Now, with that out of the way, let's get to the episode. Hello, everyone. Welcome to a new episode of the Deus Ex Dao podcast. I am your host, Brucey, together with Kepler. And we have here AJ Warner from the Arbitrum team. What's up, AJ? Welcome. Hey, guys. Thanks so much for having me. Yeah, we're, uh, we're, we're super honored. Uh, you guys have had a super big month, um, many large announcements, and uh, we are thrilled to get in the weeds with you. Maybe as a first step, uh, it would be lovely if you could introduce yourself and then uh, Kepler can uh, pick it up with the first question. Awesome. So yeah, I'm AJ, um, Chief Strategy Officer at Offchain Labs, the, the team um, developing and building out the Arbitrum protocol and ecosystem right now. Um, got into this space personally about, um, I guess it's almost eight years ago at this point. Um, I was a law student and it was around like the, the, the uh, Mt. Gox hack of Bitcoin and really fell down the rabbit hole um, and never crawled out uh, for a bit of time. And it's like a long story. I'm not going to bore you with all the details. Um, after law school, I was like a corporate attorney, um, spending all of my nights and weekends focusing on this industry. Um, I met the off-chain labs team that was working with them in 2017 before the company was even founded. And I was their lawyer and um, was working really closely with them for, you know, it, it, you know, not in the team. And then when they launched on testnet, um, Steven, the CEO, uh, reached out and said, do you want to sort of join as like our non-technical um, lead for ecosystem development? And I kind of just quit my job and, and joined. It's been a really exciting journey, really excited about everything happening with Arbitrum and the teams building Arbitrum. I'm, I'm sure we're going to talk a lot about that kind of stuff. So you know, that's a little bit about me, but thanks again for having me. Really excited to be doing this. That's cool. That's like a unique entry into to the industry, like studying law first. I feel like that's not what... A lot of people here do that that's cool um so let's maybe cover the big news first which are um arbitrum one uh with the nitro upgrade and arbitrum nova which you recently released so could you maybe give us and our audience a little bit of, of an overview like what are the differences between the two and how are you approaching them Definitely. So I just want, it's very complex, like all the different names of everything. So I'm going to give everyone like a little bit of an overview. So that will be helpful. Um, there are two main technologies that we've been developing. And the first one is the one that everyone is aware of. It's been around for like the longest time. It's like the optimistic roll-up technology. And the implementation of that is a protocol called Arbitrum 1, right? That is the first like implementation of Arbitrum technology. Um, the Arbitrum Nova, which you referenced, is built on a separate technology called um, AnyTrust technology. And the differences, and we'll talk about that and get into whether it uses Ethereum for data availability or data availability committee. Um, so historically, when we launched Arbitrum 1, we had a different stack of technology, a different stack of software. Uh, for purposes of this conversation, we can call it the Arbitrum Classic stack. And what happened this month was we upgraded it to Nitro which is the new V2 stack of the Arbitrum protocol. Um, so right now, both Arbitrum 1, which is the roll-up technology, and Arbitrum Nova, which is the AnyTrust technology, are both using the Nitro software. The only difference between the two of them are whether they're posting call data on Ethereum or they're posting call data on a data availability committee. So like, for example, we have one test set that serves both purposes. Um, and that was the big thing that happened on August 31st last week, was that we launched the Arbitrum Nitro upgrade um, to the roll-up protocol. So like Arbitrum Nova launched with Nitro from day one. Um, Arbitrum one, the roll-up, um, we had to do a migration. And like we can talk a little bit about that because that was a hell of a ride um, to basically, it was our version of the merge, right? Like getting everybody moving from the classic stack, um, like node providers, you know, infrastructure providers, applications, make sure things didn't break 
to move from the classic stack to the arbitrary matrix stack. So, um, you know, to, to just answer your question, yeah, on August 9th, we launched Arbitrum AnyTrust. And on that day, we launched with Reddit, and it was super exciting. Um, and that that is the AnyTrust technology, which is um, cheaper fees with, you know, trust assumptions that the roll-up protocol does not have. Um, and then Arbitrum Nitro was the migration of the Arbitrum 1 to the new stack, um, which has, you know, been an incredible, um, for the ecosystem, it's been an incredible um like advantage from both throughput, uh, compression, um, Ethereum compatibility. We can talk about all of that, but like I just wanted to give that high level overview because I think it's helpful to get the, the names right for everybody. It's it's quite confusing. Yeah, it, it is. And uh, us doing our homework, you know, um, I, I think we, we wrapped our heads around the data availability committee, which we can dig into. Um, but but for sure, that context is helpful. Um, maybe we begin with Nitro. And I love that you said that it was your version of the merge. Um, so Nitro, I think from a user perspective, from what I gathered is, okay, so it, it means there's better compression. It means there's going to be more throughput. Um, and those things are happening with uh, no trust assumptions or no additional trust assumptions. And also it sounds like it's making it easier for developers to deploy and uh, get started on Arbitrum. Um, could, could you kind of unpack that and and explain kind of how that benefits users and builders respectively? Yeah, so the users is the easier one to start with. So I'll start there. Um, and the thing about the users care about is they care about fees and they care about throughput and speed. So um, with Nitro, we've increased the capacity of the chain before hitting any congestion by 7x. So that's a really big, um, maybe a little more actually, about about 7x, somewhere between 7 and 10x. And, and all that means is that if the workload was, you know, hitting con whatever the workload that was hitting congestion before, and that causes fees to go up, it's now seven to 10 times the size, the workload of that would cause fees to go up. And um, like any blockchain has to have a fee market in order to survive. Otherwise, you just spam the network into, you know, into perpetuity and, you know, nodes won't be able to, to, to manage. So we've built pricing models that we feel comfortable with from a sustainability perspective. And, you know, it's important to recognize like this is the beginning, you know, as we have advances in hardware for running nodes, as we have like technical breakthroughs from a software perspective, like we're going to continue to scale. Like the seven X Ethereum is not the end game. It's like we're scaling with Ethereum. Um, it's a cat and mouse game, right? Like you continue to innovate on scale. There's more users. You have to continue to innovate more on scale. There's more users. So, but right now we're at capacity of seven to ten x of what we were pre-Nitro, and that's and that's a huge improvement. This, um, you know, could bring us, you know, like thirty to fifty TPS comfortably without hitting any any congestion. Um, you know, we we probably had congestion less than five percent of the time on the Nitro stack, on the pre-Nitro stack, on the Arbitrum Classic stack. So, but this is going to be a really big help as we as we continue to to evolve and grow and um, bring on more users. What, what's interesting here is that um, fees came down too. So the base fees of the chain, like a typical swap, I think someone posted was like um, about 15 cents uh, before the Nitro migrate upgrade. And then it became like seven or eight cents. So fees almost cut in half from the upgrade. Um, and the reason for that is we were able to introduce new compression algorithms into the code. And the way to think about this is what you're doing on Arbitrum, on a roll-up technology, any optimistic roll-up technology, is you're posting call data to Ethereum, right? So that's the biggest thing. And that is the most expensive component, right? There's a lot of research and work being done to EIP 4844, which will bring that down, but that's probably another conversation. But like principally today, the most expensive component of running a roll-up is posting your call data to Ethereum. And before, um, we had much more limited compression. So that was a much larger component of our costs. With the Nitro upgrade, that we were able to introduce advanced compressions that have brought that cost down basically by 50%, which is what allows us to get to the point where um, it, it's just that much cheaper to use. Incredible. And so, and so um, we know that with the, uh, with the Odyssey that the last time, you know, that was a real catalyst to get a lot of users active on the platform at once. Is, is there anything that's kind of changed about how the the network will respond to like a big influx of users? Like what, what's, what's the way to think about that? Um, and the fee market, you know, like 
I, I think that you referencing that that is in place against spamming, like that's a really helpful framework for, for everybody to understand that that's there for a reason. Um, so, so how would that play out, you know, if now if there's a new massive influx of people? Yeah, so the, the way to think about that with like something like the Odyssey, for example, this is why we paused it, right? The Odyssey, um, and I'm sure we'll talk about this too, is really about an onboarding event. We wanted people to learn and educate, like not learn about Arbitrum, but learn about things that are being built on Arbitrum, right? So like we had the bridge week for people to try out different bridges, um, and that went great. And then we had the next week where it was Yield Protocol and GMX, and obviously we had a lot of congestion on the chain. So from, from our perspective, the way we thought about this was, we want to onboard people into an ecosystem. What does Arbitrum look like? You know, and before we hit the Nitro stack, like we hit congestion and we, we discussed internally. So this doesn't make sense. Like, let's pause this thing. Let's pick it back up when Nitro, you know, goes live and um, because it's a much better experience. So if we, the way to think about this, and it's not an exact science because, you know, users respond to fees is if we have the exact same number of users, you would have, Seven, you need to have seven X the amount of users to hit the congestion that we hit. Um, so we hit congestion, um, during week two when GMX, um, in particular, there was a number of transactions that people had to do. Um, it's possible if there's like, you know, hundreds of thousands of people or, you know, tens of thousands of people simultaneously trying to do transactions during the Odyssey that there will be congestion again. Like we're not going to say that there's no congestion. It's just you need 10 X or between seven and 10 X the amount of traffic before congestion will hit um, and then the fee market will kick in the same way that it did before so it'll be you know we think it'll be a much better experience so you know we don't necessarily anticipate congestion to be hit but obviously you know this is a very exciting initiative a lot of people are really looking forward to it and it's possible there's there is moments of congestion but um the, the big reason to wait for nitro was that you know it, it's like we could have 10 more 10 10 times the number of people on the train uh before the train is too full basically yeah, and it gives a much better impression too for people who are trying many of these apps for the first time. Exactly. And it's then, like you, sorry, go ahead, Kepler. Uh, yeah, it's like you, you can only have one first impression, basically. So you're optimizing for user experience. So I guess the trade-off was delay it by a couple of weeks, but then to actually onboard users that will stay on your chain. Uh, yeah. Yeah, exactly. So it, you know, it wasn't good for the projects. It wasn't good for the chain. It wasn't good for the users to continue. Um, we're gonna, we're gonna, you know, we're gonna, we're, we're still figuring out the date of when we're gonna relaunch. We haven't finalized it internally. It's like, I think everybody wanted to take a moment to breathe after uh, this past um, August was just insane. But hopefully, we're gonna relaunch it soon. And exactly, I think um, it's about setting um, sort of a better experience. And, and just to go back to the earlier point about the developer experience um, with Nitro, one of the big things that changed. Um, was gas accounting. So before Arbitrum on L2 had different gas accounting than L1. Um, so like something that, you know, for example, a simple ETH transfer on L1 costs 21,000 gas. And we had our whole gas accounting system that was a function of like ArbOS and like different custom components we've built. That's all gone. So like the same gas accounting, like if an ETH transfer is 21,000 on L1, it's going to be 21,000 on L2. Um, what 21,000 means on L2 is obviously much cheaper than on L1, but um, it's much easier for developers to, to interact with that because they don't have to build anything that they're unfamiliar with, basically. like The numbers are just much more familiar. So the developer tooling was already really good, but it should be improved. Um, and I think one area where we're going to see you know significant improvement is you know running nodes. So for example, before, um, and this goes back, you know, I can talk about our development thesis. In Arbitrum Classic Stack, we built a node from scratch. Right. So many of these projects that are, you know, building, you know, EVM compatible L1s or, or L2s, what they do is they take um, a fork of Geth and then they use that as their node and they build out their infrastructure around that. Um, when we built the V1, um, we didn't have a clear path for how to use and recycle old infrastructure. So we actually built the node from scratch and it obviously didn't have all of the optimizations that, that Geth has. You know, it's been a code base that people have been, you know, improving over, you know, years and years. Um, but we actually managed with the Nitro upgrade to to figure out how do we use um, a fork of Geth as as the node. So running a node on Arbitrum now is not running like a custom node that you're unfamiliar with um, that might be less optimized. It's it's running basically a fork of Geth, and, and that's going to be a huge difference uh, for node providers and and people who want to run their own nodes at home. Um, they're just it's a much more familiar software stack for them and much more efficient. 
So Nitro is basically better user experience, better developer experience. And fees are down to, you said, like seven cents, around seven cents. Because like a, you, I think a swap, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So because you, you have the call data compression and call data is like the biggest uh, part of the costs. Then we have Nova, where uh, fees are even lower because you use the data availability committee. Um, how would you compare Nova to, let's say, other L1s that are also high throughput and, uh, yeah, like low fees? Um, because you talked about the trust assumptions before, like how how would you compare it with that? Yeah, so the Nova fees are much um, much cheaper. And the way to think about Nova versus Arbitrum 1 um, is, remember I mentioned earlier the main cost that exists on Arbitrum 1 is using Ethereum for call data, right? So that doesn't exist in Nova. So what you do in Nova is you use a data availability committee. And the trust assumption is, is that you have to trust that at least one of these members of the committee will hold your data for you. Um, everything else happens on Ethereum. Validation happens on Ethereum. Assertions are posted to Ethereum. You know, the chain in the event that the role of the data availability committee is not holding your data, you can post it. You can fall back into a roll-up mode and become a roll-up, which will mean it'll become more expensive. But if you are operating in any trust technology chain and you're like, for example, like Nova is, you're relying that at least one member of the data availability committee will provide you your data. Um, that is the trust assumption, right? In Ethereum, in the roll-up mode, you're trusting that Ethereum will provide you your data, which obviously is a, a much more decentralized list than the data availability committee, and you have much more confidence. And that is the additional trust assumption, right? You have to trust the world of Ethereum because everybody who's running a node and an Ethereum node can serve you that data. Uh, in any trust, you have to you assume that one member of the data availability committee um, will host your data. Um, so for us, it was very important when we built this to have a very distributed set of members of this committee. Um, and what we, what I mean by that is like, I want everybody in the world to feel confident and comfortable that they can trust one member of this committee. And for the, what we're targeting, it was important for us to be thinking about a mix of web two and web three. Um, like as we discussed, like, um, like Reddit, for example, is using this technology, right? So if you're a Reddit user, um, Reddit's on the data availability committee. So if you trusted Reddit with your data on their centralized server, you can trust that Reddit will serve your data. Um, here, uh, Google Cloud, for example, is on the committee, right? So we wanted to have, you know, gaming studios who might, you know, be familiar with GCP or, you know, other Web2 native, um, members entering into Web3 to feel that confidence and comfort knowing that, for example, Google, but, but also like Web3 native folks should feel comfortable and confident. So, you know, Arbitrum Offchain Labs is, is, is part of the committee. Uh, Consensus is part of the committee. FTX is part of the committee. The P2P, the team that developed, you know, the Lido protocol originally is part of the committee um, and we're continuing to add a uh, quick note as well as part of the committee so we really wanted to build a um a collection of web 2 and web 3 native uh teams and we're going to continue to add teams over time into this committee um and and, and that's and that's really the premise right the premise is as long as you can trust somebody the committee will serve your data you have the same confidence but it's much cheaper so so why did we launch this, right? Like, why are we not just focusing on the Arbitrum rollup, which is where sort of all of our um, efforts were? And, and a lot of it comes from feedback. Um, there's two things to appreciate about a rollup. Um, and this is obviously in a pre-4844 world, which hopefully will be implemented over time. But if we're thinking about today, um, rollups are still very expensive compared to some of these alternative layer ones and sidechains. So even though, right, we're talking now um, about transactions that even post-Nitro, let's say, are $0.10 cents or $0.15 cents or $0.07, there, there are alternative chains that are in the $0.01 to $0.02 cent range, right, uh, for transactions. And for certain use cases, that difference is extremely important. So for the average Arbitrum DeFi user, they might not care about the difference between $0.07 cents and, and one penny because their average trade size might be $1,000. But if you're talking about gaming or social or, or sort of more cost-sensitive verticals that we want to bring on-chain, $0.07, cents, for example, would just be too expensive. And the other component is the volatility. So when you have a data availability committee, 
you're not as dependent on spikes in gas on L1, right? So on the roll-up, and we have you know protection measures in place to 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 alleviate some of this, but if L1 gas prices spike a lot, right? Roll-up prices spike, right? So if L1 goes from 10 guay to 500 guay, the roll-up prices will go from let's say seven cents to a dollar, um, or whatever it is. We have some smoothing mechanisms in place to try and make it not as as um, as obvious to users, but they still principally are responsive to costs on L1. When you have the data availability committee, you have much more control of the fluidity of costs being, you know, relatively consistent because you're not as beholden to what the costs on L1 are. So that was really important sort of for certain use cases. Um, and we were responsive to that um, in the sense that it was getting harder and harder to, to, to justify to some games why they should use roll-up technology if their use case doesn't necessarily require the security of a roll-up. They are comfortable making security trade-offs for the benefit of UX. Um, so that was really the reason why we sort of accelerated the AnyTrust technology. Um, the way we're thinking about positioning this from a messaging to the community perspective is we're not trying to tell everybody to go to Nova, right? Like we're not pushing, you know, Aave or GMX or any of these protocols to go to Nova. We're, we're telling them, you know, Arbitrum 1, the roll-up technology is probably better for you. There's more liquidity there. You know, it's better security properties. Um, stay on Arbitrum 1. Like that should be the chain, you know, of, of choice for, 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 for those use cases. Um, but we want to have other use cases bring, come to the blockchain, like Reddit points, for example, right? Like Reddit on day one, airdrop tokens from two communities to 250,000 wallets. And it cost them about $1,000 to do it. If that was on the roll-up, depending on the L1 gas prices, it would have been significantly higher. Um, and if they, as they want to continue to scale that program, it's important for them to be able to, you know, model the costs of, of doing so and bringing these things on chain um, in a way that they just aren't able to to to, to do, for example, on on roll-up technology. So, like that that was the reason why you know we've been focusing on it, but. Um, I've been talking for a while, so I'll yeah. <laughs> so I, I have two questions on um, Nova and AnyTrust. So, uh, for, first of all, so like let's say you're building a blockchain game. Um, so you might want to do that on Nova so that you have the benefit of the super low costs, right? And otherwise, you know, if it weren't a blockchain game but it's an MMO, people would be making uh, the same trust assumptions, right? And and that game would be hosted on AWS or Google Cloud or whatever. Um, but I know that sometimes within such a game, there might be an NFT market um, for which you might want stronger or fewer trust assumptions. Uh, what's the right way to think about that? Like, would you sometimes advise, okay, well, you deployed a game on Nova, but maybe the NFT market should be on uh, Arbitrum 1, for example? Or is yeah. that not something that would, would occur? Yeah, no. So I think that there's a lot of people working on stuff like that. So the thing to think about here is like, there's risks around bridging, and we're looking at building solutions to bridge between Nova and Arbitrum 1, and there's already some solutions for like ERC-20 transfers like Connects and others that are already live. Um, but I think principally you're right. Like, for example, um, there are things like, if you look at like the Treasure DAO ecosystem, right, they have some NFTs that have sold for north of a million dollars, and they have some NFTs that have sold for 10 cents. And right now they're both on the same chain. And to think about a way to have a million dollar NFT live in an environment that's more secure with better liquidity and an NFT that trades for 10 cents to have an environment that has, you know, less liquidity, but the transaction fees are lower. Um, I think that's the world we're going for, right? It's so like where not all of these things will live in the same environments. Um, there is some work I think to be done around like synchronous interactions uh, between these two things. And, and that, that's like really the complex part or even asynchronous interactions that maybe are trust minimized. Um, but that's that's the world we're striving for. That's the vision that we have. Awesome. Okay. Um, I I had hoped you would say something like that. Makes sense. And then coming back to the committee members. So um, it sounds like you have some really established parties who all have an interest too in the development of this ecosystem. Um, what's their incentive for making sure that that data remains available? And I I'm thinking that. You know, I'm kind of visualizing this. Um, I imagine these are just people who have a bunch of servers and that guarantee redundancy of those servers. Um, but why, is there a financial incentive for them to do that? Yeah, so right now they they share in the um, 
the on-chain um, components, uh, the revenues, the, there's a sharing mechanism for, for, for data availability members where they get a certain portion of, of the transaction fees go to them. I see. So since they are validators, the more success the chain has, the more they are rewarded, and thus that that is a self-reinforcing cycle. Exactly. Awesome. Okay. You mentioned Reddit community points uh, a couple of times, and I mean, I'm interested in how you got them onboarded, like how you convinced them to build an Arbitrum Nova, because also what we've seen before with Arbitrum 1 is just a lot of strong DeFi protocols. So I'm curious of like what your approach to business development is and how you how you are getting all these projects. Yeah, that's um, a good question. I'll take those in pieces because they're very different stories. So Reddit um, in particular for us, um, in July 2020, Reddit put out a request for proposals in what they call the Ethereum scaling bake-off, or just maybe the scaling bake-off. And they sort of introduced the idea of Reddit community points and they were looking for a home for where they can do it because Ethereum layer one would be too expensive. And I think about 30 different projects, um, all the major L1s, a lot of the L2s that were sort of, you know, established at the time or being in development, um, sort of submitted request, like proposals for like why you should use our chain, um, in order to build on the Reddit community points, uh, initiative. That was July 2020. I don't think we heard anything until like December 2020 when Reddit reached back out to us and they asked us a whole bunch of questions. Um, we worked very closely with their security and blockchain teams um, for about eight months. And I think in July 2021, they finally announced that they chose Arbitrum technology um, for as their scaling solution of choice um, for building out this program. Um, then as like once they had that commitment we got more involved in the weeds of like the actual product they want to build the scale that they're looking to build at and it became more and more obvious that um, nova would be a better choice um, from a tech perspective for what their vision was um, and then we decided like you know we weren't really like we, we were very focused on arbitrum one on the arbitrum one ecosystem i'm sure it became like a surprise to you guys that all of a sudden Like this thing Nova launched, right? Like it came kind of quickly. And a lot of it was done in stealth because we were working in stealth on this uh, with Reddit, like the Nova launch. So um, we launched it with with Reddit on day one as like sort of an anchor to what we're trying to build there um, for social and gaming purposes. Uh, so Reddit is like a one-off story for you, like the, the process you talked about. How is it for like generally, how, how do you handle business development for projects? And maybe are there differences between Arbitrum 1 and Arbitrum Nova? Yeah, great question. So the way we handle these with um, with most teams is we'll talk to anybody. And this goes back to the beginning of the Arbitrum ethos. When we launched Arbitrum in, in August of last year, um, our mandate was we are not going to open with a whitelist for specific projects. We're going to open to everyone at the same time on day one. We didn't want to kingmake anyone. Um, and this was extremely important to us. Um, and it was extremely important to the community as well. We've supported projects, you know, for example, GMX. I think when I started working with GMX, it was just X working on it. There was no one else really focused too much on the project. Maybe there were a couple of other members of the community, but it was a really small project that was, you know, Gambit migrating off of BSC and into something new. And we gave them the same support that we gave, you know, the Uniswaps of the world or, you know, major you know, established L1 um, T5 protocols. Because for us, this was a new frontier and it was important for everybody to have uh, the, the same support that they could have. Um, that's our general approach. We try our absolute best to understand what the project that's building is looking to accomplish by deploying on Arbitrum, seeing where we can provide value and connecting them with teams and being responsive to their commitment to the community. So there's some projects that You know, our multi-chain, they want to be everywhere, and we understand that and respect that, right? It's not a world where we ever ask anyone for exclusivity. And they just want to be there for their ecosystem. But there are other projects that are really trying to integrate into the Arbitrum ecosystem. They're trying to get connected, right? Like there's, I don't know if you've tracked how closely you track the Arbitrum DeFi ecosystem, but if you see like what like the GMX, Dopex, Myceliums, and Umamis are doing like in collaboration with each other on, on different projects, like, It's super cool. And a lot of that is, you know, work them working themselves, but also like us connecting teams 
and helping them build um, Lego blocks um, together. And and Nola fits into this story pretty well, actually. So with us now having two products, it's extremely important for us to understand a project's goals, right? So if I'm speaking to a project, I can't sell them like use Arbitrum 1, no use Nova, no use this, no use that. Getting a sense of what are the importances for them in the trade-offs. Is liquidity important for them? Is low fees the most important thing for them? Do they need to be composable with others? Do they need centralized exchange liquidity? These are all things that we take into account when we start speaking to projects. And then we try and guide them and, and give them, you know, sort of our perspective. You know, if you're a wallet, maybe it makes sense to launch support for both at the same time so that you can capture an arbitrary native user across both chains. You know, if you are an NFT ticketing platform where security is not the highest priority, it's really just about like conference attendance, Nova might make more sense for you, right? If you are a DeFi protocol looking to compose with GMX, then obviously Arbitrum 1 is the right protocol for you. If you're an exchange that, you know, wants to think about different things, there's different things, right? So um, we, 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 our approach to business development is let's work with everybody, but do it in a way that we can actually provide value. So how do we understand your business goals? Do you want to have onboarding for your token directly into L2? Which centralized exchange do we think would be most likely you know, to work closely with you? Like, How do we think about all of these different components of where we can provide value? Um, I like to say that the Arbitrum Partnerships team, our goal is to solve collective action problems, right? things that no individual team in the ecosystem should have to carry themselves. We, we are the ones that carry that burden for the ecosystem right now to, to try and push those things along whether it's better Oracle update times, you know, all these different kinds of things are things that we focus on um, that can benefit both the community as a whole as, and projects individually. One thing I think stands out for Arbitrum and that I imagine many people actually, um, they envy you guys for is the amount of adoption you've been able to get without going and launching like a, a big emissions program. And I think you have been a large architect of that. And I'm, I'm curious what your view on that is, because clearly, you know, there's obviously the expectation of people, but then also you're, you're seeing that that is a marketing strategy or, or like a biz dev strategy from competitors. And you've succeeded despite, uh, you know, or like without doing that. Um, and I'm, I'm sure you have a pretty well-defined vision on that, you know, and how you've been able to achieve this. So could you talk about that? Yeah, um, I, I think one thing that we have, and, and this goes back to my earlier point, prioritized is trying to build the best product, right? So from a tech perspective, we focus on building the absolute best optimistic role of technology or any trust technology, like data availability solution. And then we have that same philosophy when it comes to ecosystem growth and business development. Building the best technology, building the best ecosystem, building the best product for users is not something that people should take lightly, right? Like in crypto, a lot of things are just focused on incentives and incentives drives the game. But we see how mercenary capital can be, right? There's projects that have spent hundreds of millions of dollars in liquidity mining for it to be an up arrow to go right back down afterwards. It doesn't work. There are components of it that can work for like bootstrapping if you need that to get off the ground. But if you don't have a plan for how to keep people, it's way too easy for capital to migrate. So our philosophy to this is, is completely different. Let's just focus on building the best ecosystem. So if you're a DeFi user, what do you care for? You care for cheap fees, low slippage, and that your, your, your application that you're, you want to use is there. If I'm trying to capture the marginal user who's just saying, oh, instead of, you know, I can LP for 20% yield because there's a three-month incentive program that's going to be going away soon or it'll become, you know, worthless if too many people LP, that's not really a user that that's going to be with the ecosystem for the long run, you know. So we focus on just building the best product, and both from a technical perspective and from an ecosystem perspective. So if I can get you know, more integrations, more collaborations between projects, more projects building real sustainable yields. Um, that's what keeps users sustained, right? Like the reason why GMX continues to grow is because there's economics that continue to work for liquidity providers. There's economics that continue to world for GMX token holders. 
So if I take my time and think, how do I improve their ecosystem? How do I improve their collaborations? Or how do I improve Dopex or Mycelium's or any of these different teams that are building ecosystems that are sustaining a real growth? Um, it's much more likely that their users will stay, right? Like one thing that I think happened in the um, in the blockchain wars of scale and the scaling wars is that teams are very focused on which chain it is, right? Because chain is community and chain is culture. And for us, our culture has always been best in class from a product perspective, whether that's technical product, whether that's experience. And that's what people want to use Arbitrum for. People use Arbitrum like if I look at the Nitro, all the conversations around Nitro, like, wow, the incredible, the tech stack is incredibly smooth. And that's always been the narrative of the Arbitrum. And that's the narrative that we're going to continue to try and grow. That use the best technology to build your application, and then the users will come. If we, you know, if we started doing incentive programs for growth, it, it, in many ways, like that's, that's not the messaging that we've been giving out. Um, about what Arbitrum is, and our focus has just been on product and technology. Yeah, just just opining on that, you know, like uh, thanks for that clarification. Like from an investor sort of and ecosystem participant point of view, I think what often happens is people can solve or partially solve the cold start problem with incentives, but then what happens is brings it back to your point, which is if the product isn't good enough, people will migrate and go somewhere else. And you have people who become grandfathered into the community, right? They become community members forever. Um, and and that that is rather out of, um, uh, I guess, wanting for their bags to eventually pump. But what happens, I think, is uh, many of those projects fade into oblivion. And so I feel you guys also maybe unintentionally got your timing incredibly right, because I think for someone else now to come and to succeed and really get like a lot of user traction doing a, a roll-up, I think that's very, very hard to do unless they throw a bunch of money at it. Um, but then still, even if they do, like, will they stay if the product isn't good enough? I doubt it. Yeah, it's, it's, it's tough, right? Like, there's a lot of money trying to attract users. But I think in many ways, it comes down to time horizon. Right. If you're thinking about optimizing for the next six months or for the next year, some of these short-term boosts are easy to justify. But if your mindset is I'm building something for a decade, or I'm building something for two decades, I'm building infrastructure that the community and the world needs, you're going to have to do it right. So we're doing it right from day one. You know, it goes back to thinking about how Arbitrum started. So Ed, our chief scientist, had the first designs of Arbitrum in his class seminar when he was teaching at Princeton in 2014. Before Ethereum even launched, he was thinking, if we're going to have a smart contract-based blockchain, it will need layer two technology to scale. And you know, if you find on YouTube, like you can find a class seminar presentation about Arbitrum in fall 2014, before Ethereum launched. And think about that time frame of the amount of thought, time, and energy went into building a rollup before it even hit product, right? Like this was seven years of time, and you know Ed went to the White House. He was Obama's deputy CTO for a little bit, so there was a little bit of a pause there. But this is years and years of research and work, thinking about interactive fraud proofs, how you can do this in a rollup in a way that you don't compromise on the base layer security, but have high throughput environments, and. From a partnerships perspective, it doesn't mean you have to take shortcuts. If you're not taking shortcuts from a tech perspective, it doesn't mean you take shortcuts from a partnerships perspective. And yes, there's growth strategies and acquisition strategies that you know that implement. I'm not advocating you know for to never do anything inorganically from either a, a business development or partnerships perspective, but you have to have your north star, right? And for us as as off chain labs as, as Arbitrum, our north star is to build best in class product that people want to use. And the partnerships team's goal is to facilitate that and make the user and developer experiences on Arbitrum as seamless as possible. I would guess teams see that as well. So do do they just come to you asking, like, can we deploy on Arbitrum? Or is there also some parts where you like actively reach out to, to other projects? So we do both, right? Like we're not we're not like satisfied. Um, with the ecosystem, we are always trying to onboard more teams because every team that can join the Arbitrum ecosystem is additive for the whole community. 
right? If there's one piece in the Lego stack that's not existent on Arbitrum that we can get to make everybody else's lives better, we are going to continue to push for that. So our partnerships team does outreach. Um, we probably prioritize outreach in, in, in verticals that are that are that are like um, maybe underrepresented, but we work just as closely with with inbound, and you know we get dozens of teams a week reaching out to us. You know, obviously deploying an Arbitrum is permissionless. They don't need permission from us for that, but they want to build a go-to-market strategy, our marketing strategy, and we can get them into our funnel of of marketing and exposure for for teams. So um, it's a combination of both. You know, we're, we're never satisfied. We're we're constantly looking for more. Um, I think, for example, like the NFT ecosystem on Arbitrum is something that we can improve. You know, in comparison to our DeFi ecosystem and there's a, there's a lot of there's a lot of there's a lot of reasons why I think that that's taking a long time to mature, but it's, it's probably not for now. But um, we're we're never we're never we're never satisfied. And you know, just like the and then, like I go back, you know, like this is the ethos of our team. If you look at the GitHub repos for the Arbitrum Metro, the first commit was six days after we launched Arbitrum, right? So our engineering team was not satisfied with launching Arbitrum, the classic stack, and saying, okay, we're good, we're done, let's. Let's optimize this a little bit when we have a stack. We basically rewrote our software starting six days after a launch that took five years to get to, right? And that's the mindset that like the whole team has um, from both a technical and non-technical perspective. We're, we're always trying to improve and, and be best in class. Nice. Okay. And I think one thing we wanted to drill into with you is that you talk to very many teams. And you have seen some do better than others. And uh, we, we wanted to pick your brain about that. Like, what have you seen in terms of trends or kind of traits with teams that do well? Um, are there any things that immediately come to mind for you? Um, so there's, there's two ways to answer this question. So, so what I would say is like, I can, the way I usually get a sense of teams is the kind of questions that they ask me, right? So like there's an, and you have to appreciate that there's some teams that are, you know, super well funded. There are some teams that are not well funded, unfortunately, right? So like you have to appreciate each team in their current circumstance. But oftentimes you can see the priorities of teams. Um, is there priority to build a product that can, you know, pump their token? Or is there priority to, to collaborate within an ecosystem? Is there priority, you know, to, to take it slow, but launch when they have the absolute best product, right? So like, I look when I try and see teams, I, I, I probably sometimes give feedback that's like, um, um, that was not requested. Like, I, like, you know, I just like would give my own feedback and be like, I think you should do this or I think you should do that. And, and when I do that, it's because I think that there's a team that's like really promising, really exciting that I might be like trying to do something like maybe too much or too quickly or, you know, haven't thought about the notion of launching an MVP. But I would say that the general thought that I have, like the thing that most ex gets me most excited about teams is when they are incredibly passionate about their product, right? And users, right? That's, that's the thing. So one thing that I think, you know, a lot of protocols, um, you know, get, can be complicated for them is when they try and like balance product and, and token holders and, and, and price and, it gets very confusing and it's a lot, it's very overwhelming for teams that are in early stage sometimes. And the ones that are hyper focused on product and value to users and users could be liquidity providers. It could be end users, like hyper focused on like, how do we make this experience as valuable and as differentiated as possible? Those are, the those are typically the teams that, that get me the most excited. Um, I'm not the best at like figuring out like, Oh my God, was there like a DeFi technical breakthrough that this team thought of? Like I would never be the one who can like, identify that kind of stuff. It's just not within my skill set. Um, my skill set is more about identifying teams, um, soft skills, and um, seeing how we can help them. You know, obviously, you need to have, you know, good code so that you don't get hacked. But seeing like the priorities of the teams is, is usually the best signal to me of um, their likelihood of success. And it comes back to product again, um, is what I hear you saying, which is... Uh, yeah. Which is interesting and also very logical. I'm not like a product guy. Like I, I'm a real estate lawyer by trade, but the, the thing that I've seen the most is like there are some teams that are just incredibly hyper focused on product, and I think those are the ones that have have typically, you know, been the most successful. 
do you see certain user needs at the moment that aren't really tackled by teams yet? I mean, you, you mentioned NFTs before. Is there something particularly or, or something else that you see? Yes, I think I think for NFTs, uh, we have some... Um, there's a lot of complexity, right? So it's much easier to go cross-chain with ERC-20s. Um, the technology stack is much more mature. Obviously, they're fungible. There's a lot more questions around NFTs and their ability to be bridged and bridged securely, bridging metadata. Um, and I think that has been one of the things that has um, made the, um, the move to L2 much slower, right? Because if you're a project that's launching an NFT project and you have to take a bet, in a sense, right? Like if you are, you know, launching, let's say you're launching a DeFi protocol, right? And you launch it on Arbitrum and it doesn't work for you. You can relaunch it at somewhere else and bridge all of your capital out of Arbitrum and into that other environment. And, you know, it's much easier for you to sort of correct course. With NFTs, some of the complications are, these are non-fungible tokens owned by thousands of people. How do I start migrating these uh, collections over, you know, maintaining metadata, maintaining ownership. And, and obviously I don't want them to become fungible, right? So there's there's a lot more complexity and a lot more um, risk there. So there's a couple of things, right? As NFT marketplaces mature on L2, as, you know, success stories become more obvious on L2, like for example, the Treasure DAO ecosystem is an amazing example of success when done right on L2. It's unbelievable what they've done. Um, as these things become more solidified, you'll have more teams comfortable on, on, on launching natively on L2. But there's a lot of work that could be done. Our teams, you know, once one of the priorities of our team now, thinking about how do we build cross-chain messaging for NFTs so people can get comfortable that, you know, and Layer Zero has done a lot of work with this around their omni-chain deployment. So it's not like we're the only ones thinking about it. Um, but how do we get comfortable with having cross-chain NFTs um, that can work um, and de-risk sort of some of the projects um, from from making the wrong choice potentially. And in terms of the ecosystem you have right now in the apps, are there any key composability opportunities or challenges next to the, the NFT um, cross-chain bridging that you just mentioned that are that are like obvious to you that they need to be solved? Um Nothing really coming to the top of my mind. Like I think that um, there's a lot of different verticals. You know, major AMMs, you know, derivatives um, are all are all in existence. I think the one thing that we should probably think about solving as a community, and this is this is a little bit outside of the scope of what we can do individually, Arbitrum is the long tail of assets. So it's very easy for us to have USDC, USDT, ETH, WBTC liquidity on chain. It's much harder for me to get sufficient liquidity for you know, a governance token, either, even if it's a major governance token, to move to Arbitrum. And what ends up happening is it becomes a chicken and egg, right? So if there's insufficient liquidity compared to L1, maybe the transaction fees are much lower, but the slippage is higher. Right. So if, if you're anyone with trading with size, you, you know, you're not going to move to L2 if you wanted to trade sort of, um, you know, non major token pairs. Right. So that is an area I think that, um, there's a lot of work that needs to be done. And I think, you know, we're trying to work on it. You know, you know, broad on our team is tackling this from like a DAO perspective. Like how do we get DAOs to think about an L2 strategy and migration? Right. Some of them are, um, some of them are focusing on, you know, like a lot of teams are like, okay, we're going to do snapshot and L1 for treasury, right? So like, you know, that that's, you know, fitting the L2 narrative in there, you know, saying let's get something less centralized than Snapchat, um, than, snap, than snapshot and something more central, um, you know, moving style too is, is, um, is, a, is, a, is a major goal here, but that's going to be a big community effort, uh, something that we can't just tackle ourselves, unfortunately. The long chain, the long chain notion is uh, is a good one though, and absolutely, this is a uh, an issue we encounter. So, thanks for sharing that, and it's something we're going to spend some time thinking about. Um, I think we know you have a deadline coming up, so uh, let's bring this conversation to a close. Um, before we do, though, we want to ask: um, Is there anything you want to leave the audience with? Uh, maybe. Um, 
any specific shout outs to apps you think they should try or um, other things you think are, are noteworthy? Yeah, so I think shouting out specific apps is always dangerous because I'll get I'll get a lot of messages that oh, I missed. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So what I will say is go to the portal, like portal.arbitrum.one or portal nova.portal.arbitrum.io, and you'll see the different portals of apps and just try them out. You know, see if there's you know if there's an app that you use on a different chain and sits on Arbitrum, try it there. If there's an app that you you know you've seen on Twitter, you know, just give it a go. We're really excited to onboard, you know, people into the ecosystem. The priority for us is to onboard people in a way that they'll never want to leave, right? And like that's really our goal. Our goal is to have people want to live on Arbitrum, treat Arbitrum as their home base, and not somewhere where they just go um, to, to chase to chase, you know, opportunities and yields, but really to think about it as as their home. As you know, Ethereum enters a roll-up centric roadmap, getting people out of the mindshare of staying on L1 is is a very hard thing to do, but you know something from the top down, from the Ethereum ecosystem all the way to the Arbitrum ecosystem is is super important. Um, if you're a team that wants to build on Arbitrum, like feel free to reach out. We love to work with teams. You easiest way to do it is either DM me on on, on Twitter or um, email like partnerships at offchainlabs.com, and um, our team would love to chat and see how we can be helpful to you guys building. And obviously, thanks Brucey and Kepler for hosting this. It was a ton of fun. Thanks so much for taking the time. Uh, we learned a lot and uh, we'll get back to doing stuff on Arbitrum now. There you go. <laughs> don't, don't degen too much. No. All right. Thanks.